Welcome, specialists, coaches, dads of kickers, moms of punters, relatives of long snappers, and dogs that check kickoffs to the Ice Man Kicking Podcast. It's the show with cold questions and even cooler guests. We are here to talk about the ins and outs of special teams and specialists. And I am your host, Brett Arkellian. Before we get into the episode, a few reminders. We encourage you to tweet about today's episode. Tag us at Iceman underscore kicking and use the hashtag Iceman Kicking Podcast or Cool Under Pressure or Big Kick Energy to let us know what you enjoyed about the episode or any recommendations for who you'd like to see on the podcast next. Also, if you are interested in any of the fantastic information discussed here today, you can find all of this and more in the Kicker's Bible. Proven training methods and secrets used by professional specialists by yours truly, Brett Kellyan. It includes tips from over 20 NFL specialists, along with numerous personal accounts from Eagles Hall of Fame kicker David Akers and current University of Florida analyst and ex-NFL kicker Shane Graham. Visit IcemanKicking.com or go to our Twitter bio to purchase your copy today. Now sit back and get ready for one cold episode. You know, if we were last in the country returning punts, I might not be on the podcast. So shout out to the uh, R&B team. Hey, and everyone listening, man, y'all order my dog's book, man. Y'all stop playing with my guy, man. Iceman Kicking, go get the book, The Kicker's Bible. Order the thing. Support this young man. Right. Welcome to the Iceman Kicking Podcast. Today, I am very excited for our guest, one of the best special teams minds in uh, college football today. We have Coach Jeremy Springer from Arizona. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on today. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, A little bit about uh, Coach Springer, uh, starting from uh, his birthplace, right? He's from Los Fresnos, Texas which is kind of funny because I'm from Fresno, California, you know, so we got that connection there, which is obviously Spanish for Ash Tree. Um, his background, he played at UTEP and was a playmaking linebacker and the recipient of a Conference USA academic medal, okay, uh, as a freshman and a four-time member of the Conference USA Commissioner's Honor Roll. So he was a great academic student as well as a player, Later, he went on to coach at UTEP, Texas A&M, and the University of Arizona. Coach, uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and you know how you got into the coaching profession. This show is brought to you by The Kicker's Bible. The Kicker's Bible. Do you want to learn the ins and outs of kicking from NFL specialists? Organize practice schedules for in-season and the off-season so you don't overkick? How to get a full-ride scholarship offer? the perfect long snapping technique for tossing a 6-5 ball on the hip every time. This book provides specialists with the ultimate guide containing everything necessary to find success as a specialist at the highest level. Brett Arkellian combined over 10 years of experience as a player and coach with countless hours of research to develop this handbook of the greatest collection of proven technique tips used by college and NFL specialists and coaches all in one place. The Kicker's Bible is a must-have for both players and coaches at every level who want access to information essential to perform and teach at the best of their ability. 
go to icemankicking.com to get your copy today. Yeah, well, I'll first start off by uh, I was better in the academic part, uh, which is why I received the academic honor rolls versus, you know, I'm going to say all defensive team. Um, He's both. He's both. Uh, yeah, I was both. I was both. But but uh, I like to joke there. And, uh, you know, when people do ask me about where I'm from, it's always, oh, you're from Fresno, California then. Nope, Los Fresno's Texas. So that's good that you brought that up, man. I'm, I didn't even know you were from Fresno, California. I, I knew you were from Cali, but. Yeah, and the cool thing about that, too, is it, you know, I did my research. We do a lot of research here on our, on our guests. And, and Los Fresno's uh, seems like the same type of, I mean, other than the fact that it's nearly in Mexico, right? The yeah. Texas. But as far as a, you know, uh, very agricultural, there's a lot of fruits that are grown there, right? And that's exactly the same with Fresno, California. It's in the, in the valley and there's a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables grown there. So probably same yeah. type of area. Very, very much the same. So, and going into that, you know, um, growing up South Texas, very small town, like you said, it was an agricultural town. Sugarcane was huge uh, growing up there. A lot of farms, small rodeo in town every February. Um, and I had a great upbringing, man. Just a small town home. You know, we lived on the island for a while. It's called South Padre Island, Texas. Then we moved off to Los Fresnos when I was in elementary. And uh, football was huge. It was always a part of my life. Uh, Friday Night Lights was real. It's a real thing in Texas. And South Texas was definitely, in my opinion, my humble opinion, high school football in South Texas than it does in the rest of Texas. Now, you don't have the best talent in South Texas. But it just football means that much more to people. And you can see that with every town is not working Friday night, uh, the jam-packed stadiums. So I grew up, I grew up around that. So it really I mean, it made me appreciate football and what it brought. I also had a great mentor, high school coach, uh, Scott Ford, who's in East Texas now, coaching and, you know, his, his lessons that he gave us and helped our team and helped people in our town just be better men and plain and simple. And then when we went off to college, it helped us, you know, adjust very well to being away from home and being able to adjust and not get lost like some guys can get lost in college, you know, without the right upbringing there. So, again, I, I look at high school football was like my dad uh, growing up and it taught me a lot of things. And then I had mom at home and grandparents and all that. Went to UTEP out of high school. Um, a lot of guys in South Texas don't go play off Division One football and we were lucky, me and my brother, uh, to be gifted that my brother went to KU I went to UTEP I played there I had a decent career you know I, I was a quarterback for two years I was recruited as a quarterback then moved to linebacker my sophomore year uh, then my brother was playing linebacker at Kansas and made the switch there started three years man had a good career uh, you know was just able to you know play from you know, gap to gap wasn't a guy was gonna be out there in space very well you know we played Texas one year that Exposed me a little bit, you know. Uh, teams like that exposed me, but it was fun, man. I had a great time in El Paso. When I was done playing, that was a pivotal time, you know, in my life um, and how I got into this coaching thing because when I was done playing, I just couldn't give up the game. I just – it didn't feel right for me. I just felt like something was missing there. You know, do I go on and finish my master's and get into, you know, corporate America or, or own my own business, whatever it may be. And I just – I just remember sitting there that whole semester, knowing that I wasn't going to play at the next level. Like, what do I do? And one day, I, I go into um, Mike Price was our head coach, and I go into his office and I ask him, you know, "Can I help out in any form or fashion? Like, just help out 
He's like, yeah, you, you can. I'm all for it, but you got to get approval from our AD and Bob Stoll. And I went to his office the next day, the next morning, I looked. I know there's not a GA position open uh, on the offensive defense side, but our director of football operations needs some help. You know, he needs a guy to help him. Would you be able to grant me and, and make a position as a GA in operations and just so I could help him be his right-hand man? And he did so. And Mike Price agreed to it. And because of those two guys, that started my coaching career, honestly. And that was a, a big thing for me. Um, working operations for one year. I then volunteered my time on special teams during that time, volunteered on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and then when Mike Price's staff got let go, a guy named Sean Kruger got hired, uh, who was our next head coach at UTEP. And he brought me into his office one day and said, what do you want to do? Do you want to work in operations or do you want to be a coach? And I said, I'm in operations because I want to coach. And right there, he put me to the defensive side of the ball I was a defensive line GA for the next two years there and learned a whole lot under Scott Stoker, who was our D-line coach, who's out uh, Monroe. Um, just learned a whole lot from those guys, that staff, Sean Kugler, another mentor of mine, just so organized and so structured. Discipline was on point. I mean, just everything about it from the organizational standpoint, how you treat people too as well. I was treated very well as a graduate assistant, which went a long way. He, he taught me how to treat people and he treated me like I was a, the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. And he didn't treat me any less. And he, he'll, he would bring us into the office and teach us lessons like, are oh, you seeing what happened today in that staff meeting and whether it was good or bad? This is what you don't do. Um, and that's why I took so much from him. And, you know, that's why he's still coaching. He's an offensive line coach for the Arizona Cardinals. And he's a long-time online coach in the NFL for a reason. Very organized, very structured. Most of the special team guys got to be, right? Uh, organized, structured. And I think that went a long way. And a guy named Jeff Banks, who I, who I worked for and played for at UTEP, hired me at AM after that to be his quality control guy on special teams. And then I spent three and a half years at AM, and that, those were some of the most growing years on special teams, obviously. Being under him and just working for that guy was everything. He treated me like his, like I was his son, you know? And, and to this day, we're still very, very close. Um, I, I looked to him from, for everything. You know, if there's anything I need, you know, from a mentorship standpoint, um, I go to him for it because he he really gets it and he just has that natural knack of teaching you and making you instilling things in you. And just like he's just so good at it. That's why he's doing a phenomenal job in this profession and why he's at Alabama. He's doing a phenomenal job there and he'll continue to do a great job wherever he's at because he's done a phenomenal job for me. Um, and I can't thank him enough for that. And now him going to Alabama, got hired at Arizona under Coach Sumlin. So I've been with Coach Sumlin for seven years now. And he's been great to me as well, man. He's let me let me run special teams, you know, make the decisions, uh, be the CEO of it all. He doesn't micromanage, and it's been a great experience thus far. And looking forward to continuing working with him as long as I can, really. Man, you've had a hell of a career up to this point. You will in the future too. You know, I want to go back though, real quick, because I want to unpack some of the stuff you talked about. All right, the player personnel aspect. First of all, you know. Talk, talk to me about what like UTEP, that school means to that city. I always thought El Paso is a really cool area. I have friends that live in El Paso. You know, talk to me what that school means to the area and then also what your roles uh, when you were in the player personnel department, what, what your job was and what you did. Yeah, uh, well, El Paso is, you know, people don't realize, I think it's just some old small town in West Texas with tumbleweeds and 
No, it's a very well-developed city. It's big. It's got, you know, it takes about an hour, hour and 15 minutes to get from one end to the other end. It's huge, right? It's got um, very, very Hispanic culture, very deep there. You got a, you got city of Juarez, which is right across the bridge there, which is 2 million plus right there. It's one of the biggest cities in Mexico. And so it's a very, very family-oriented city. And because of that, and with the Hispanic culture, they treat the university the same. So UTEP is family there. So people there that live there are all about the minors. And that's why I appreciate it. And I thought Mike Price did a phenomenal job of building that place up and really showcasing the rest of the country what UTEP was. It went down for a few years. I think Coach Dimmel's doing a phenomenal job there with his team. And it means a lot, man. When you when you get the, the crowd going or, the, or really the population of that city going, man, it's, it's going to go 40,000, 50,000. You know, the Sun Bowl is a phenomenal stadium right between two mountains. The weather's great. There's a lot to do there. It's a great place, man. And, and some of the things that I, I got to experience there, you know, working in operations, um, I mean, all the facets. You know, when you're at a, you know, mid-tier uh, Division One school, and you know, UTEP, or maybe a lot of positions weren't, didn't have a lot of positions at the time I was there. I was doing everything, you know, serving food going to pick up the food for the week or pick up the food for the morning for all the players, the chocolate milks and the breakfast and all that good stuff. Uh, making the sitting of the plane seat arrangements, right? For, all right, we got to put O-line in the bigger, wider seats. Uh, what guys go there, the roll call, be on the advanced team and going to hotels and making sure everything's good there from a contract standpoint, everything just flows right. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the little things that I think helped me, you know, going out helping Aaron Price, the quarterback's coach at the time, helping him with quarterback drills or whatever he needed on special team game days, helping Coach Banks, you know, make sure the depth chart was right. If guys were injured, what guys would come moving up, moving down, uh, things of that nature. It's every little thing that I could do while I was there, I was all about it. At point in my life, I was like, I don't care what it is. I want these coaches to notice that I'm here, that I'm here and I'm here to work my ass off. No matter what. I, not whether I was getting paid or not, it didn't matter. I was appreciating being part of that staff and allowed to play, or not allowed to play, but allowed to work for that staff. Um, and I think it went a long, a long way there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I, you know, I know that El Paso is. I think that's so cool. The the Mexican culture that's there. Shout out to my boy Jerry. But also, yeah, how <laughs> how expansive it is. I mean, how big. I remember growing up in Fresno and watching Fresno State play UTEP when they were back right. in the whack days. You know, and UTEP days, always. Man. A, a tough game, you know. Were, was were you in the whack then when you played there? Was no, Conference USA, Conference USA, yeah. But all of our, you know, we had several coaches on our staff that played whack teams, and that the experiences like, you know, Rob Rodriguez that was a really good linebacker there. He was the line coach at Arizona State, and he, remember, he had a fumble against Fresno State or stripped the ball fourth down or whatever it may be, stopped on fourth down. But those are some good games, man. No doubt, no doubt. And UTEP, it's cool because it seems like they've played all over the coast, you know, played at Marshall, like we oh. talked about earlier, played in California, like everywhere. Yeah. And that's the thing people don't realize is how big Texas is, how far West Texas really is. So when we have to travel to maybe Marshall and like, play you guys or FIU, right, or, or, you know, Middle Tennessee. Those are real trips down. I mean, it's cross-country, four or five-hour flights. It's real in your time. I mean, we're in the Mountain West time, so you're losing two, three hours sometimes. And, man, it was it was interesting. You know, playing Conference USA is a, a different league now with the teams 
spread out. It's crazy. Yeah, people don't know about it, man. We gotta we gotta inform them. People don't know about how spread out Conference USA really is. No um, doubt. Obviously, okay, you got to play and coach, and I, I knew you were gonna bring him up. But to me, all right, this guy has always been the king of special teams in college football. You know, he's always been someone I looked up to, and I'm not gonna say idolized, but definitely respected and try to emulate. Talked about Jeff Banks. Personally, the reason I looked up to him was he was a punter in college yep. and became a special teams guy. And that's the same route, you know, I'm I'm making right now as a punter and then one of the special teams. You played under him at UTEP mm-hmm. and then you were under him at, well also at UTEP, right? And then uh, for one year be up out of it and then yeah, and then worked directly under him. At A&M. Talk to me about like what you learned from him because you were with him for so long and he is like one of the most respected special teams coaches in the nation. Yeah, well, I think what people really got to understand about Jeff Banks is how good of a person he is. Like deep down in his core, he serves people so well. And he might not even try to do it. It just comes so naturally to him. And I think as a player, he's hard on you. And he demands a whole lot. So as a player, I didn't see that part. He was great at getting us fired up. I love this game plan. Like he got us going with the things he did presentation-wise. Uh, the assistants he had working for him were bought in. We were all bought in with his energy. Uh, but when you started working for him and being around him that way, how he acted around staff and what he did for people outside, that's what separated me. Like this guy truly cares about people. And he does everything he can to make sure, uh, you know, you're benefiting off whatever he's doing. Um, and like I said, I think he just relates to players and people so well. And he's able to coach things to make it so simple, right? Although it's a complicated, something complicated, he just makes it simple for the players. Because he's able to relate to this guy, you know, maybe this guy's from inner city New Orleans, or this guy's from, you know, Orange County. But he's able to get everybody in special teams is everyone's in the room at the same time uh, from different cultures and different backgrounds and you got to be able to relate to each one of them he's able to do that uh, a lot of things a lot of times through his culture his presentations but just you know one-on-one interaction and, and the way he, he just talks to people is there is there that sounds awesome he sounds like a fantastic communicator do you remember I know I'm putting you on the spot here do you remember an example of when he like you know took some complex idea and made it really simple or when he, you know, related to somebody you thought, oh, there's no way he's going to be able to reach this kid, you know? Can you think of anything specifically? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of a term that we use uh, that that makes a lot of sense, uh, and it, it deals with, with punt return. Um, he started using this technique called midpoint, okay? And what midpoint is, is when you're running down the field and you've lost leverage on a man, and say the guy's two or three, four yards ahead of you, and it feels like you're not going to be able to make a play on the guy. He's, he's beat you. Well, no matter what, you know, 90% of the time, you can still get to the midpoint of that guy. Because if you're a directional team, which that's what we are, you know where that cut, you know where that return is going to go. So now you got to you get your eyes on that, on that man, on the returner, and on the cover man, and then go lose that ground to meet him at the midpoint. And then you could always finish your block. So no matter what, I'll probably return. You, you can always be in good position and still finish. Now, that's 95%. The other 5% you plan to retrace work up the field. But to get guys to understand, don't just give up, you know. And when you have a good return like a Christian Kirk who we had at A&M, 
that really came in the fact that we midpoint came up every time. And when he started using midpoint, man, our punt return averages went skyrocketed because guys understood if I could be, it's okay. Let me go meet this guy at the midpoint. And that was just something little like that to me. I just made a lot of sense and it's worked for me and it's worked for him forever. And he's got a guy named Jen Waddle now. The return of there was unbelievable. And I guarantee you, he's got to teach a lot of midpoint there because Waddle's a field guy, filled a boundary. He's a wall return guy. Oh, yeah. Man, that's good. I like that, actually, because I've, I've heard that term thrown around, but, you know, I don't know where it came from. I didn't know specifically what it was referenced to. It makes your guys not quit, right, to always think, I yeah. can get to a spot in the field to help this returner out. Because yeah. as we always tell our guys, it's like, our return is going to make one miss for sure, maybe even two miss, you know. So exactly. let's go prepare. Don't quit on the play. Go find someone else or go find that midpoint. Yeah, exactly. That midpoint's big for me. It's a huge teaching moment. It's your teaching technique that I I start day one from return circuit, you know. That's Boom. awesome. That's really cool. All right, so not only did he have success at UTEP, but when you guys got to A&M in 2017, you guys led the nation in block kicks and block punts. To me personally, that's how a special teams coordinator and a special teams unit sets themselves apart is when you start blocking kicks, right? Because that changes the whole momentum of the game and it, it just gives your team something to rally behind. What did you, what do you, what did you guys do different, uh, you know, that year or, or what, how'd you guys set yourself apart to block all these punts? Was it a mindset? No, you know, mindset from the culture. We had the cult, the culture was instilled from coach Banks, coach someone and that staff the number of years they were there. I think, you know, you look at a lot of teams that are very vanilla on punt return or maybe very conservative. Like, we're going to do what we do. We have three returns all year we're going to use. We have, you know, four. We got a, a, you got a pocket of blocks that we're going to use um, throughout the year. Banks don't work that way. It's very, very game plan driven. It's very, very adapt each week to what the team's giving you and strategically plan for that team. So, you know, just working through the game plan part of it, watching the film, pulling up the previous years, you know, we're always two to three years behind on a team. We're not looking at that year. We're two to three years ahead. So we're finding different teams that work, have worked against that team and then, and then working our little adjustments there. Also, halftime adjustments or in-game adjustments was very big for Coach Banks. Very good at in-game adjusting to, all right, South Carolina is doing this to us, so let's bring it on the backside, what's the communication from the sideline from the players too? How are we communicating on the sideline? What are they seeing? So those in-game adjustments helped us in that year get some of those blocks, to be honest with you. Oh, my God. I mean, in-game adjustments too are, are a huge deal. I think that's what sets coaches apart. And that was one of the things I was going to ask you about too is, you know, did he have you watching certain elements of the block that he thought was going to happen? Okay. Yeah, yeah man. He, and, and something that – how he was really good. I was, you know, the, sh the game day chart that we had that delegated different eyes to certain areas of team. A lot of teams do that, uh, but me and him were on the field. And that's something that's a little different. Sometimes they're, they're, the GA or ST, uh, ST or quality control might be up, up in the box and things. But from a communication standpoint, since it was just us two working on special teams, we were on the field together. So he was making the depth chart changes or looking at different things. I had my eyes in certain areas I needed to look at, and I was a big communicator with our players on the field. So when they would come off, i go talk to the L3, L4, or i go talk to the guard, the right tackle, get that information, bring it back to him, and then we've had, you know, big lamination 
deal on the sideline, several of those, and we just draw things up. All right, this is what we can do now. Attack that, go to the player. All right, here you go, Marnie Watts. This is what you're going to do on the next one. Attack this B gap instead of the A gap, and then go from there. So in-game was really big because our communication was big. And that's something that I've tried to get to here is the communication part between me and my assistant and the players has got to be great on gaming because I, I do like to in-game adjust. Some guys don't like to. I like to. And, I, and I'm and just, like, you know, having the luxury of just coaching special teams, I can do that. You know, if I was coaching tight ends and running backs, I want to get the time maybe to adjust in-game or even a halftime. Yeah. What you guys do too, right? More so. Yeah, I mean, it, that, to me, that, that just sets you guys apart, you know, or it sets you apart mm-hmm. when you can work in-game. Now, like, we'll use, and I know some teams have used, at least I do, like, have my specialists watch certain things, you know, too, about who's, you know, making a tackle or making a block. Do you guys use, you know, is it anyone else than you two making those adjustments? Do you have anyone else as eyes? A lot of ownership on the on our GAs and QCs. Yeah. So, Obviously, I like our, our full-time assistant coaches. You know, our returners coach is going to watch returners and be he'll be in check. Everyone, everyone else, I don't like to put a lot of ownership on them because they're worried. You know, I want them to be focused on their position, you know, that they're coaching. So the GAs and QCs that I use throughout special teams, I give them eyes. Like, all right, here's here's what you're looking for on punt. Here's what you're looking for. It's, a, it's an actual detail sheet that we give out every Friday so they're going to be keyed in on game day for that. I like to use those guys because, again, Using the GAs and QCs, man, give them ownership. And they, they, they allow those guys to take pride. It's just like on special teams, I think, when you play freshmen, when you play walk-ons, right? It's that ownership, like, man, I want to make the team. I want to do it right. So let's give them a little more ownership there. And I'm really big on that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I love that, especially being a young guy, too, right? Because you, I'm sure, you know, you always wanted that responsibility. The more responsibilities you had, the, the more you felt like you were helping the team. The more you learn. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, who does it? You know, if you're in this profession and you don't want more responsibility, you don't want to be the guy. I mean, what are you in it for? Right? I want. I want because we're doing things right as a collective group. But you know, having or having uh, that ownership of a hey, if this doesn't go the way it should, that's on you. And I like that feeling because now it's like it's like doing a project. When I was in high school and college, I wanted to do a project if it were in a group project, because I didn't want other people to mess it up. Like, I want to do it myself. So I've always taken that ownership role, whether I was a GA or QC, like, give me give me more work to do. I want more work to do because that puts more ownership on me and makes me more accountable to the people. Well, and we have, then it, it was good, too. Yeah, and it's that competitive nature in you, too, right? I know for right. me personally, if I was the kicker. If I was a starting kicker. I was a starting punter. I want the ball. I want the opportunity to hit the game winner. I want the opportunity to punt deep in my own end zone with two minutes left, you know, because that's a competitor in me. And I'm sure that's the competitor in you. It's coming out as a coach too. No doubt. No doubt. And, and like I said, I, mean, I love that you, you know, you were a specialist too. And that, that, that's awesome right there. Like coach Banks, if we circle back to that, it's him being a specialist helped out a lot with our specialists. You know, that helps, that goes a long way, that validity, right, that you always ask for out of your players. Like, they want to see validity. Well, someone like you who played the position, you've written a book, right? So you, you know the position pretty damn well. Like, you've done your research, you've had your experience, and someone like Banks was really good about relating to those guys, but then also being able to relate to the linebackers and the running backs. That's the next step, and that's what he, he's done really well as well. Oh, 100%. Now, what, what was his influence uh, with the specialists? Did he work with them? Did he get out there and freaking rip some punts with them? What did what did, what did he do with them? He, you know, because he was a tight ends coach as well. At a&M. He 
didn't get a lot of time, you know, during practice with those guys. We spent a lot of time pre-practice and post-practice with those guys. And just like you said, and I'm the same way, you have to have those guys rolling and script in hand, and we can talk about that. But what we had that was good for those guys, we had a strength coach designated towards our specialists. Very, very good. And so he worked with those guys during practice. So whether it was conditioning, cardio, ab work, things like that, they were working stretching, everything like that. They were working that during practice, pre and post. They were with us, whether it was film or working, you know, our script for the day. That's really cool. Now, yeah, with you being, you know, mainly special teams and right at AM, did you help out with them? Did you stay around them at practice or what was your role then during practice? Uh, my role was just Banks. I was Banks' right hand man. So special teams was on, I'm rolling there. Okay, I'm specialist pre practice and post, I'm working with them, helping them out. Uh, more so at that point in my life, in my career, I was learning from Coach Banks, like watching how he coaches guys. Because I wouldn't come in as a specialist group. I'm coming in as a guy who knows it all. I'm coming in to do the work, get things organized, make sure scout teams run great, make sure the drills are set up, make sure the camera angles are all perfect. Tight end drill work. I'm working with tight ends, helping on offense for the drawings, everything like that, presentation. My job. The specialist wasn't my job. So I learned a lot from Banks. That was my opportunity during the special teams when he was working with specialists. All right, sit back, listen to him. How does he coach these guys? Because I am not, I'm not good at this yet. I'm not, I can't coach these guys right now. Sure. It was a lot of my time there, but it was more so helping out special teams with everything that goes on from a depth chart, <laughs> presentation, uh, organization of drills, getting the coaches on point that are teaching the drills, things like that. That was my job. Hey, I love that. And also, I mean, what better guy to learn everything from than Jeff Banks? Did you... Did you keep like a, a notebook of like writing down stuff he said? And did you ever like, you know, use that when you moved on? Uh, you know, I, everything I've kept, yes, I do. I have a log of things that he did. Um, and I have it in all of my folders. And, and I'll go back and look at, you know, how he treated this, how he did this, how he acted during this. And it definitely has paid off, without a doubt. No doubt. I mean, anytime you're with a guy, right? I mean, guys you, that you look up to. Anything he says sometimes or you do, you, you're like, yeah, that's right, that's right. No matter what, you're biased towards him. But, I mean, I think it's helped me in my profession without a doubt in, 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 in all situations, man. Like, what was great about our relationship was I was in his office. Like, my office was in his office. Huh. It wasn't, like, down the hall in another room, right? So we literally did everything together. You know, I had the music rolling. I, I was always rap. Banks loves rap music, so I'm always playing rap. You know, and he's a guy that people love to come talk to. So Coach Summer was in my, our office a lot, and every coach was in our office. And I got to learn a lot from those conversations now. Those little things that maybe uh, that I never took for granted, right? The conversations with the head coach, the conversations with the offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, with players, because I was in that office. And I really, really took that to heart, being in the office, being able to be around that, those kind of things. Man, what a great experience. That's, that's really cool that you got to do all that. All right, so after A&M, right, mm -hmm. you get this opportunity at Arizona. How did that transpire, and how old were you when you took that job at Arizona? Interesting. It transpired, um, you know, we, we ended our season, uh, we had a bowl game, and then I, I had a few interviews lined up. Um, I, I had one, you know, before the convention, I had two at the convention. Um, I got offered a job at the University of Kansas, um, and I was actually going to take that job. 
And lo and behold, that was after the convention, you know, it was kind of weird. Rich Rod, the whole Rich Rod deal was going on Arizona. And I kind of got word, you know, that Coach Sumlin was possibly going to get the job. And it, it was it was crazy, man. Just I was packed up, leaving College Station because I got the job at Kansas. And I was driving 10 hours to Lawrence, Kansas. And, you know, that midnight, at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, Coach Sumlin calls me and tells me he's going to get the job. And so the next morning, I drive 23 hours to Tucson, Arizona, and just go. I'm like, this is my calling. This is where I want to be. Um, and that's how that transpired. And I, I was very fortunate. Like I said, you know, Coach Sumlin was helping me get those other jobs. He was calling coaches for me, helping me get a job somewhere else to be a special teams coordinator. And he had put a lot of work for me. Coach Banks was doing the same thing. Coach Banks already took his job at Bama. And so Coach Sumlin got hired, hired me. Um, and that was a... Uh, definitely a blessing you know very lucky to be in that position uh and I just thought you know I didn't want to take it for granted so I was going to take it and not pass on the opportunity and, and, and roll with it and just do what I need to do to, to be a part of the staff yeah what a great spot what a great situation too having those coaches they obviously really respected what you did by you know going out there and trying to you know help you land a spot how old were you at that time oh yeah I was, I was 29 years old so is that, and, and that's awesome, right? Because that's what every guy wants to do is, is have that opportunity at a power five school, be a coordinator, you know. Um, was there, uh, you know, a nervousness or were you, you know, um, anxious to get started there, especially at a young age? Anxious, very, very anxious to get started. Um, yeah, and I kind of look back at that, you know, getting hired. I really, really just wanted to, make an impact on our players as fast as I Like that was the first, like anxious to get it started and build a relationship with our players and let them understand that I care about them and I'm there to serve them. Like, and I want them to see the passion that I have instantly for special teams. So whatever I could do when I got there, the hiring process took a little while as well. So I was there two weeks before I was supposed to be hired. So I really couldn't be in the office a whole lot. So I'm, you know, doing research on our guys, trying to get to know the team. I can even see their face. And that was huge for me, man. It's just, I was so anxious to get there and just make a name for myself. And not as an ego part, but make a name for myself. So those guys know that I'm truly there because I, I want to coach them and I want to be a great football team at the University of Arizona. Wow. Yeah. that's And that's the right mentality you have to have, right? It's, it's more about, um, you know, respecting the game, respecting your position, respecting the coaches that are around you, you know, and doing doing that pe preparation to have everything ready to go. Um, coming into a new school, and you kind of led me into this question, is like, how do you get guys to believe in what you're doing? I mean, you're a young coach. You obviously, you bring a lot of energy. You know, you got nice facial hair. You know, how I do you that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're very well groomed all the time. You know, but how do you get these guys to really buy into your message and what you believe in? I think from day one, man, I, it always starts with how consistent you can be in which, and how you bring that same energy, philosophy, what you're coaching. How are you doing it every day? Because to me, the second I show those guys that maybe I don't have energy, I'm not into it, I'm, not, I'm just really there because I'm getting a paycheck, that's the second you lose those guys. They want to know what you care about them, but you got to be consistent with what you do. And that's one of my biggest philosophy things. You know, the second thing 
in our philosophy is be the most consistent team in the Pac-12. And how you do that, it's your everyday habits. Like how good, good consistent habits is what we're going to build on. And then showing them through validity, right? Like I talk about showing them perfection, how one play can really mess up a game. You watch Georgia Tech and Florida State in 2016, you know, block field goal, right? Or something like that. You show them those plays. You then show them guys in the NFL doing the same slingshot, midpoint, right? The same type of blocks that you're going to be doing one day in the NFL is now you just build that culture. You build that consistency right there with those guys. And then not last but not least is, to me, is on the practice field. Not letting the four-year starter get away with things because he's a four-year starter. He's going to play the whole season. You treat all guys on the same level, okay? And you're consistent with that. As soon as you let so-and-so get away with jogging through a drill, and you, you know, but you get on somebody else's butt because they're not finishing and he sees that, well, then right there, you're not, you're not building any kind of culture. Right there, they're seeing that the older guy's getting away with things. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned, too, in the last two, three years when, it's, when you're on your own and now you're coaching it for real. You don't have a guy like Jeff Banks that's coaching it who can naturally do that is how consistent can you be day in and day out and really showcase your energy and showcase that you care about it. And it's not about me. It's not my ego. Like, don't feed my ego. Like, truly care about the guys. Like, care about them enough. Show them that you're passionate and show them that you want them to be successful just as much as you want to be successful as well. Well, I think it has a lot to do with that energy that you do bring, you know. And I've heard all about, you know, how you come in the locker room in the five-minute yell, you know, as loud as you can. And, uh, you know, you saying, uh, get your – Get your ish right, you know. I heard that's a, a common saying that you and your your twin brother, uh, really yeah. get going. Yeah. I love that man. We, I, I, I don't know. There's something about energy. It's the you know, it's crazy. The older you, when I was 20, 21, maybe I didn't understand that. I think as I started working in football and then started, you start, you know, learning about yourself, right? I mean, you grow so much, and I grew a lot in my twenties. And energy was something. The more research I do on it, the more I look into it. Your energy, your mentality, is everything. I mean, how you project yourself is is, is crazy. How how much that really, whether it's your girlfriend, uh, you know, your family, you know, how you project and how you give people energy. So I'm so big on that. I'm, I want to continue. Not I don't care how old I get or you know how out of shape maybe I might get one day or whatever it may be, but never lose the energy and the consistency with that because. Guys really feed off that, and they appreciate that, too, because no one wants somebody to come in there and have be monotone, be quiet, and not so, you know, not be excited to be somewhere. You know, we coach football, right, bro? I mean, we coach football. At the end of the day, we coach a game, and I, I don't take that for granted at all. Um, I, we could be in a, in a desk job from 9 to 5, and, and it's the same thing Monday through Friday, and with no excitement on Saturday, Sunday, but we get a chance to actually go out and, and get those chills and play in front of his fans and, and things like that, which really I truly appreciate. I truly don't take it for granted. Whether I'm coaching uh, five years from now or not, man, I, I don't take this for granted at all, ever. You know, whether I'm here or whether I'm in a different school, wherever it may be, I don't take it for granted. And I think, you know, showing that through my energy and how consistent I am is really how I try to build a culture of that through here. Well, the thing about that energy, too, is it's infectious. Right. So you start doing it and then the guys get that feeling and everyone's all jacked up. I love that. Do you are there tough days? Like I'm sure there's days, you know, where you wake up and man, I didn't sleep much last night. I was doing breakdowns and scouting reports. And you know, how do you find that motivation then 
on your tough days or on your rough days? Well, I do a number of things, dude. Uh, I do a number of things, man. I, I'm a big meditator. I'm really big into meditating. I'm very big into journaling. I'm very, very health conscious. I think those things like that help me get through the days where, you know, say we just lost a game, right? We're not having a great season. Things are not, there's some drama on the team. Um, things like that to me is it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to get past those things, but when you're able to look back and, and be grateful for what you have, which I'm very grateful for what I have in the life I'm living right now, it makes you sit back and say, hey, this is a small thing. It's a process. Like everything that's happening right now is happening for a reason. I truly believe that. Whether it's you're not winning a game, this is happening for a reason right now. So that you can either be negative and, and hate or you can learn from it. And I try to take those moments when they're hard days, when I haven't got much sleep. It's like, it's just a test. It's just a process. I'm learning. My body is learning right now to adjust and get through this thing. And it's just the way the universe is giving me something that I can handle right now. How am I going to handle it? Am I going to be negative about it or positive about it? And then how am I going to try to help my teammates or not my teammates, my peers, and then my players get through it? Because those guys might, aren't going to be thinking that way. A lot of guys, they don't know what they don't know. So us losing three games in a row, our guys are down, man. Guys are not happy. But how can I help that? And I think through my energy and my actions and do a number of things like meditating, being being grateful um, and things like that really, truly helped me out. I'm honest. Like, it's not, to me, it's not a thing where, oh, I just get, no, I'm good, man. I'm just, I just get motivated. It doesn't, there's nothing I do. It's not more coffee or it's not, you know, get eight hours of sleep and I get dinner. No, it's, it's, uh, it's being grateful, right? And, and knowing myself and, and knowing that everything's a process and everything's happening for a reason. Sure. It's a mindset, right? It's a, it's a mindset that you have. And that's good, man. I, I definitely love the meditation aspect too, because I've definitely not gone through the trials or seen the things that, you know, you've been through, but you know, in the tough times in my life, yeah, I've always meditated and it's crazy how much better I felt after, you know, yeah. and how, how much clearer I felt and more mindful because of that process and, and taking that down. So what'd you, what'd you pick that up? Meditation. When I was playing, when I was playing for sure. And because, you know, before we go back to like before my senior year, I was playing against Ole Miss and even before that when actually when I was like at a, ju a JUCO I took a yoga class at Fresno City College yeah the first hour was all flexibility stretching I'm like this is great for being a kicker and then second hour was meditation and they put in wow. this guy was uh his name was like it was Yogi so anyway he would I had always impersonated this uh to my teammates and he'd get over the you know it was a CD you know you put it in your laptop or whatever, and you'd be like, you are a cloud. You are floating over a farm looking down. I mean, just the most, like, I went to a HBCU. I brought that with me, and my roommate was like, you know, what the hell are you listening to? Like, this goofy old white guy, but it, you know, relaxed me. It made me focus on my breathing, you know, and it, I definitely embraced it before every game I meditated, you know. Did you, when did you get into the whole meditation process? Uh, I'd say my late 20s, late 20s. And it's really, you know, everyone talks about, you know, COVID and they look at the negative part about it. Man, it's been such a positive for me. I, I get it. We haven't played football and I get, but man, the amount of self I'm able to do on myself and get myself better and to help people in my life, to help our players man, I'm better for it. So, and that's another thing, right? A huge negative in COVID, right? No football, um, you know, 
things are happening, people losing money, salaries, furloughs, things like that. Well, again, I, I think it's the silver lining of it all is, man, I've been able to get myself much better. Now I feel that I can serve my players much better because of that. So going into the season in November, I feel better. I feel in a better place that, you know, I'm going to help this team out no matter what happens, no matter how our season goes. We're going to be, we're going to have great energy. We're going to play our asses off and we're going to have fun doing it at the end of the day. Have fun doing it. Yeah, that's a great outlook. And yeah, I, I've tried to keep that same mindset too. It's taking the negatives and making it a positive, right? And it's so hard for people to do. And actually, I'm connecting that to my next question. You led me there too, is what about guys? Okay, so, you know, you yourself are motivated. You're bringing that energy every day and it's infectious. You know, most guys are buying in, but then you got you know, just a few guys that are, for some reason or another, they're currently, they're just kind of lagging. And this could be a backup that's not playing much. This could be a four-year starter who's just not bringing that energy. He might not have a good mindset. How do you get them right? How do you bring them up to everyone else's level? I I do my best to meet with those guys one-on-one -on -one quite a bit. You know, a lot of those guys that when you have those issues, or they just, you know, they don't, they're not playing hard. They're just not into it. It's how can I connect? A lot of those guys don't connect well in big settings. How can I connect with this guy in a one-on-one -on -one setting and show them how much I care? And then whether it's a backup or it's a, a four-year starter, 100% of them, you know, I want to say 100%, 95% want to play in the NFL. So you, you show them. You, you show them the film. You bring up Matthew Slater. You show them this guy right here didn't play in college. They played returner, was a really good returner. They didn't play a truly receiver. But how much money he's made in his career and what he's made out of his career. So to the backup, I show that. To the four-year starter, you show a guy like Calais Campbell, right? Guy who's been a 12-year NFL vet, but he's still playing special teams on field goal, field goal block. Or, or Earl Thomas or you guys like that. You know, show them playing on kickoff. You give them that, guys, the reason why you're on special teams, the reason why I'm on your ass so much is because – not only is this going to help you now and help us win games, but it's going to help your future too. Because there might be a day where you're not, you're going to go into an NFL team, you might not be drafted, you might be a late round draft pick, you got to make it on special teams. And that's what's going to get you over that edge, playing special teams and doing it now at a high level because you're helping us be successful, but you're helping your future be successful and your future family. And I try to do more one-on-one -on -one things like that. Because you, you, without a doubt, man, I'm, I mean, it sounds good I, on, on the podcast, right? Like, oh, yeah, they're all bought in, yeah. No, nah, man, you know, that don't work that way. You're, you're going to have your select few guys that just don't want to play special teams, don't, aren't bought in, they don't see the understanding. Because when I was a player, okay, and I know you were a specialist, but you can see it, like, even when I played linebacker, when I was young, although we had a good culture, at times I was like, man, I'm, more, I'm worried about defense. I don't want to play defense. I don't necessarily want to play a bunch of I've been in that situation, so I know what guys are going through when they don't necessarily want to run hard on kickoff and do that. Because I, I'm not a hypocrite. I've been in that situation where I didn't play as hard, but I think I got to show them the end result. Show them the why, right? In 2020, you got to show these kids the why. Like this is why we do this. This is why you're doing it. And this is going to be the end result for you. And once they start to understand that, then that then it clicks for them, and then they understand that they can make a lot of money doing this one day. Show them the why. I like that. Well, and just. The one-on-one -on -one personal thing, I think, is, is what's big to me because some guys might be socially anxious, you know. They might not like being a big circumstances with a lot of people. Uh, they might – that's not their way to communicate. You know, maybe, yeah, sitting them down and talking to them one-on-one -on -one 
that's their way to inspire them and to really get them going in that setting. No doubt, man. No doubt. I, everyone learns different, man. Everyone reacts different from a social standpoint. I'm more outgoing. I'm more want to be in charge. But some of these guys are more of the, hey, let's hide behind a little bit. Let's, no one wants, I don't want anyone to see me. And then it kind of reflects on the field. So that's the, the type of guys that, hey, if they're not giving me the great effort, maybe I don't jump their ass on the field. Pull them aside, meet with the one-on-one, understand, like, this is how we got to do things, and this is why. And it's not only for our team and our culture, but it's for yourself as well. Like, I'm doing this for you. How do you, you know, you talked about Coach Banks and the energy he brought in meetings. You know, what do you do to keep your guys, A, interested in those meetings, and, and B, uh, you know, is there something as far as the presentation aspect or the way you approach it? You know, what do you do or what are you seeing that's worked? Interactive learning all the way. And, and what I mean by that is using keywords throughout a meeting to make sure they're repeating. So, for instance, we call it keyword, something I, I've used since our days at UTEP. Um, but having my assistant in the back of the meeting room Anytime I'm repeating a word, you know, he'll yell out keyword and they repeat the keyword and they'll clap three times. So it gets them, you know, engaged in repeating that word that's important. Or myself, well, I, I got this from uh, Jody Camillus, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, if I'm going through something, whether it's whatever it may be, I'll tell them to repeat after me. So I'll say, all right, guys, repeat after me. And they'll say the word, repeat after me, get them going. Also, getting them moving around a little bit. So every five minutes or so, I'll get them to stand up and shake it out. So, all right, guys, been five minutes. Stand up, shake it out. Come on, get up. Everyone get up, stretch your arms. Let's get it going, okay? Those are three things and meetings that I do to continuously make sure they're engaged. Because as you know, you when you're running a meeting and it's maybe 2.30 in the afternoon, we're a late practice team. Some guys are tired, man. Some guys have got a class. They have workouts in the morning. And you can see them dozing off. I can see all the eyes, right? And so that's a good way to get them up, get them stretched out, get them talking. I also do a lot of quizzes, pop quizzes, where, hey, I'm going to, have a pop quiz day and I'm gonna have a, bo a box of uh, Snickers, a box of whatever. And I'll call a guy out, make sure, see what the key term is. If he gets it right, give him whatever that's out of the box. A lot of those type of, pre I like to do funny presentations too, where I'm making fun of guys, but in a respectful way or, or making just something funny, you know, get them. It's not always about the X's and O's in my opinion. Like what can I do to start the meeting engaging? Okay. With the keywords and things like that. And then how can I, in the middle of the meeting, you know, during the times where it's tough, you know, keep them engaged. And then maybe that's something funny uh, that's getting them stretching out. And that's the keyword type of stuff. I love that, man. Keyword. That's, that's really yeah. good because it, yeah, it keeps them engaged and it keeps, you know, your, your QCs or your GAs engaged too. That's good for everyone. And, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm trying, now I don't know what you guys are doing, but you know, what's the next step of, now, obviously, we got to teach presentation, right? You've shown the film, you're showing this. It's what's that next thing, man? Like, what's the next way to get these kids to learn the way they learn now? And let's be real. I mean, if you've seen Social Dilemma on Netflix, I mean, these kids are on their cell phones and they're on their iPads. You know, how can we coach them and make them learn that something that's efficient, but with their phones or with the iPad? That's the next. I'm trying to figure it out where it's, it's, I don't know if you do anything different. I'm just, I'm trying to think outside the box from a presentation because PowerPoint is PowerPoint. It's great for us. I mean, we grew up with that, man. We grew up with that. So we, that's, that fits home with us. But for some of these kids, that doesn't fit home with them, right? Yeah. It helps. 
but how do you make it more efficient than where they could automatically learn? That's where I'm trying to go with it. So you're talking about like a way to incorporate having phones or iPads. Yep. It's almost almost for me like being a, okay, so I taught high school for two years and the big thing we love to do was like our Quizlet games or Kahoot Kahoot games, you know what I'm saying? So almost like, and I taught world history, so I'd do all these history questions, put them in there. You could almost take you know, all these football questions, you know, I mean, it would be multiple choice, but, you know, have a way and that way it's a competition. So you yeah. have all these questions in there about, you know, different block schemes, say, we, you know, we're talking about punt, giving them different situations, you know, two in the A gap, uh, you know, uh, someone stemming late, you know, mm-hmm. in, in different ways to have them compete. And then you have the leader on the, on the board and whoever wins, you know, some type of prize or something. No, that's a great, I like that, man. I do like that. Maybe it's always a five-question quiz there in every right? that it's going to pop up as it goes, and they all got to answer it. So you know by the end of the meeting, everyone's answered, and it, it keeps them extra engaged. And they're all still got their phone in their hand. So, yeah. And, and you know? that's the biggest thing, too, is, like, they love using their phones. You know, it was a 40-question history quiz that we would do before our test. And they would all be into it because there'd be memes that would pop up and it's a competition. You can see the names on the board. So everyone's going fast and trying to look at the board, you know, that might be something where they're using their phones. You know, if they're buying in on history, I guarantee you they'll buy in on football stuff. No doubt. No doubt. And, and also I think getting them engaged. I love walkthroughs. I love, especially on return, return, kick return. I love doing walkthroughs. Um, if I can, I want to do more of that. You know, with us, you know, starting the season November 6th, 7th, maybe not as much practice time. How can I get more walkthrough time during our meeting time? Because, again, sitting down, you get kind of lost in space there. You know, you just start thinking about other things. You get lost. You're like, oh, Coach Springer's talking about Pump Pro. I haven't listened to any of it, right? Well, when they're outside on the field and they're standing up, they're moving around, well, now that blood flow is going, and now they're actually paying attention more. That's something I, I'm trying to go towards more as well because I just feel like our guys learn better with walkthrough type of deal. Absolutely, and it's another way of learning, right? They're actually physically doing something because you got different bits yep. of learning, whether it's video or you know reading text or you know actually going out and doing it. And a lot of guys, it seems like physically, I knew at least for me when I was playing, I had to go out and do something for it to actually click in my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the. The five things like you see, hear, write, do, you know, those you doing it, man, to me is seeing it's one thing, doing it is another thing. See, Jeremy, you're hitting on all the next level stuff, man. This is this is good stuff. And this is what sets you apart, you know, from from other guys. And talk to me, we were talking about before the show a little bit about um, you know, the way you, you guys evaluate your players' output of how much exercise they're doing. Can you talk a little bit about what that's all about? Yeah, we're, we're a big, uh, you know, sports science team. I, I'm not speaking like I know it all. Uh, I'm speaking because I, our strength coach, Brian Johnson, does a phenomenal job of relaying the information to us from a player standpoint. And we measure a lot. We, 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 uh, we schedule our practices around, you know, different output days. You know, if it's a red day, it's a green day, a yellow day. It just I all means certain things. So what we're trying to do is get our players to game day fresh to where they're going to have the biggest output and at the same time get away from soft tissue injuries. Soft tissue injuries are, are a major thing, hamstrings, growing, right quads, all the things that we deal with. 
And in order to kind of keep that managed, you know, how are we, how are we loading our players throughout the week? And over a 12-week period, over an 18-week period of a full season, um, and we get those reports every day. We get a report every day after practice. We meet on it. We talk about it. And it's it's not easy, man. It's not easy to to manage that. You have to have a collective group on board with that. And Coach Johnson does a great job. Coach Summon harps on it. Uh, and it makes us as coaching staff, it makes them more accountable and ownership of, a. Hey, we got to be able to manage your position. Like, you can't have a 20-minute individual period and just run them to the ground on a, on, a, on a red day because it's not supposed to be that way. Like, you've got to know what we're trying to do there. But it does. It helps our players out a lot throughout the season. I think we've done a good job with soft tissue injuries the last couple of years and not getting a whole lot of injuries. You know, you have your ankles and you have your shoulders, uh, but it hasn't been too, anything too extensive. And that's, that's really a, a credit to Coach Johnson and his staff and credit to Coach Summer and the way he thinks about sports science. Sure. And it's, I mean, it's taking into account the players' bodies, you know, and what you yeah. guys can do with them and how you can push it. So I love that. I'm, I'm bought in on that. Um, yeah. What is a fundamental in special teams that you think is, is majorly overlooked or you've seen, you know, other coaches focus on that was, you thought, you know, very smart? Man, um, overlooked is frontline kickoff return. I mean, that job right there is such a hard job to be able to sprint 40 yards back, flip your hips, and have to block somebody that's running full speed and can see the ball. That's hard, man. That's, I mean, I could never do it, i tell you that much. It, it, it's, a, it's an art itself. Some teams do it. Everyone kind of does it a little different, you know, the different teaching segments of it. Um, guys that I, I see do a great job, you know, Washington State's guy who's at Mississippi State now does a phenomenal job. Bill Snyder who's at USC now who we got to play does a phenomenal job of teaching his guys that. But there's an art to that. And I'm still trying to figure out that art. I, that's why I think it's such an underlooked position and it's such a hard position to coach because it, it's you can do it in different different ways. You can, you know, you know, pedal settle, you can close on the guy, you know, as you turn back there, or you can wheel around him, make him lose him backside to the return and just kind of play off him like you went on part return, which some guys do. I see a lot of successful there, or, or kind of wait for the guy, sit there and wait for the guy to come hit you and just take it on, right? Just have good leverage. Um, but to me, that, that front line blocking, man, it's such an over, overlooked position that if you're really good at the front line, man, I think you can do a lot and create those vertical scenes for the returner. Um, and you can be really cute on kickoff return, even with an average returner back there. Have you, what about you? Have you ever, do you guys have issues with the front line? No, you know, well, that's something I really enjoyed is, is you know, watching our, our front line. I've, I've always been a guy where, you know, I thought the best way was to go and attack your man. Let's go, you know, yeah. you know drop 30 yards or whatever, and then go take him out, you know, and go, go attack him. But, you know, watching other teams out there, I've seen a lot of teams have success with just kind of running them by, running them by the return, sinking <laughs> yep. with them, right? As, as deep as he wants to go, keep correct leverage and just let him keep going. And then, yeah, the last second kind of run him by. And I, I don't know, I actually really think that's been effective from what I've seen. And that's, you know, when I get a unit someday, that's what I'm going to instill with my guys. But absolutely, you got to have athletes. you got to have great athletes on that front line who can take on, you know, a 250-pound dude who's out there running, you know, four, six, forty or whatever. He's flying down the field. Um, but yeah, yeah, just, just think how athletic you have to be to 
to sprint, flip your hips, and play a guy in space. I mean, and he's going, and you're kind of going backwards on it. So people don't truly understand. Like, if you're if this is a guy who watches football, you don't know. But as coaches, to be able to do that, man, you, I respect guys that can do that, man. It's, to me, one of the hardest positions in football. And I'll tell you what, like I said, Bill Snyder, man, if you just watch Kansas State, as long as he's been there, now he's going to do it at USC. They do what you're talking about. They, just, they lose and let those guys lose backside. I mean, he is – they have done – I have the most respect for his return game because he's just been so good consistently over the years, man. He's got those guys bought in, and, and I love it. I love watching what they do. Absolutely. And you guys are – Definitely going to get a better look at it because you're going to play this year. Yeah, I'm like, when he got hired at USC, I was like, damn it. Yeah. I got to play this guy. I might call him. I might call him. Like, hey, bro, it's truce. All right. This, we're just going to fair catch all game. Let us go off at the defense and let them play it out. Okay. Other than that, field goals is live. We're good. Yeah, exactly. Huh? That's that's the cool thing, too, is when you're in a you know a great power five conference like that, you're going to get some dudes that are hired there that have been around and they've been – kicking butt so it's like that's going to be a lot of preparation on you guys but i know you guys will do great so i appreciate that dog appreciate yeah and we can and we can play kickoff like and especially like you guys are doing it at marshall man we'll be just fine i appreciate that man we uh yeah beat beat out pretty good there but uh you know it's it's a uh, got a lot of lot of season left too and i mean talk to me a little bit about the pac-12 man and and you know this adjustment to you know are you guys gonna be able to go to bowl games like you, you're starting early November. Talk to me a little bit about the scheduling. Well, well the way they got it set up, man, um, <laughs> it's a seven-game schedule, right? So we, seven, we're playing seven straight, straight weeks up until the Pac-12 championship. Well, that Pac-12 championship is really the seventh game. So if you're a one and two seed, if you're number one in the north and number one in the south, you're playing against each other in the Pac-12 championship. That's your seventh game. If you're the second seed in the north, second seed in the south, you're playing each other. So that's how they're doing it, right? And in terms of bowl games, supposedly from what I've heard, now, this is what I've heard and what I've seen on Twitter, which could be totally wrong, right? I don't believe everything I see, obviously. Um, any team to go to a bowl game this year, doesn't matter your record. Yeah, so if we, we're a one-win one team, we can still go to a bowl game. So it's going to be interesting the way they do that. But I like the direction the Pac-12, you know, people might give them a lot of um, negativity on the way they've handled things. But I can tell you this right now, we have a great testing uh, plan in place for the entire conference, testing every day. Um, the protocol is in place, and it's the same for every single team. No team is getting more advantage than the other team. The, the hours, the rules, everything's the same for everybody. So in saying that, it's going to be a pretty level playing field, I think, when we start playing ball. You know, everyone's got about the same amount of time uh, to get ready to play. Okay, some teams have maybe not been in the office as long, like the California schools and things like that. But we all got this six-week ramp up to get ready to rock and roll. Uh, the protocol is strict in place, man. I mean, if the guy tests positive, he's going to be out at least three games. So that's where you factor into, you know, that makes it tough for players, man. It's, you better – you got to be diligent and – making sure that you're not around a bunch of sororities and frats and people that don't have as much to lose a stake that you have to lose. I mean, special team, I mean, we know we can't lose our starting kicker for three weeks, man. <laughs> I can't lose our starting punter for three weeks, dog. I can't, it just can't happen. I tell you what, yeah, especially the specialists, man. It's like, guys, 
please stay in your dorm rooms. Do not go anywhere <laughs> because, and you know, we saw that from a couple of our games earlier in the year that we were scheduled and it's like, boom, outbreak there, boom, outbreak there. And it's, it's scary, you know, because at least for us personally, we had time to like, all right, cross that team off the list, bring in a new team, you know? I mean, you guys, you know, but I, I think the Pac-12 is do, doing a great job with how they went about it because they're making sure everyone's safe, first of all. I don't know if you've heard, you know, I won't name names, but some of these schools said, yeah, we think almost every one of our guys has gotten COVID at some point. Yeah. That is ridiculous. That is crazy. So, you know, I think the Pac-12 was doing a great job making sure everyone's safe, you know, having strict testing methods. And hopefully, you know, it, it you know, relates to you guys having a successful season. And I'm excited. Exactly. The goal, you know, the goal of the conference was, you know, don't have any suspended games. We don't need that. We don't need you guys playing for one week and then out three weeks and then out two weeks. Let's all play. We'll all be tested. We'll all be under control, you know, and, and ready to rock and roll. And like I said, man, I, our, our, I got – three specialists that live in a house together. So I'm, I'm worried about that right now. Like, guys, look, you guys are great kids, man. I love you guys. But let's just make sure that whatever is outside the house, it's just a football field, the facilities, and it's your house, okay? Or anything, please be careful outside here. I just mass, mass on at all times. That's been our, our rallying cry for all the, the GAs and QCs here, man, is mass on all the time. We're just yelling this should be our it. mantra. <laughs> That's what you guys should yell instead of a uh, keyword. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. That'd be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, we're wrapping up uh, here, but man, it's been awesome talking to you, man. And, and like yeah. I said, this is, you know, someone I really wanted to get on the, on the podcast too. In your experiences from going to UTEP to A&M to Arizona, you know, what's been the biggest difference, especially from like a mid-major like UTEP to going to A&M or to Arizona, what's been the biggest difference in maybe the operations of it or, you know, just how many guys you have or yeah. the ability to prepare? Yeah, I think the resources you got. Um, resources, man, at uh, some of the places I've been, um, it's just ridiculous. And, like and, and, and Yeah, A&M was, is, they got a lot of resources. They do a phenomenal job. They understand what it takes to be able to compete with the other top-notch programs. And in today's day and age, you know, with social media, how important that is, recruiting, um, playing football, and then managing your team now with the portal, right? I mean, you got to continuously recruit your guys once they're on campus now. you got to build that relationship and sustain that uh, relationship. So having the resources to do that, whether it's psychologists, sports scientists, um, a, a plethora of coaches from quality control assistants, GAs, full-time staff, player personnel, assistant player personnel, you know, those type of things resource-wise is the biggest difference without a doubt. Um, I also think how much football means, you know, in certain parts of the country, football just means more, right? Because it's part of the, it's part of the culture. I think in the, you know, somewhere like an A&M, Texas, football means a lot, man. And there's a reason why they pay that guy that much money and the staffs and the, the reason why they have to sell out 105,000 or 104 or whatever it may be consistently because football means a lot to the culture, the community. And that's great, man. To be around that is awesome. Okay. Now in, in retrospect, the things you lose there is everyone's got, you know, one job. So maybe you lose a little bit of ownership and people don't aren't maybe as bought in because of that from a, a, a whole staff standpoint, because they got one job. Whereas, you know, small schools like a UTEP where you have a number of roles, 
uh, you're like, man, I got a lot more ownership in this thing, so I got to make sure it's right. And that's where I think you could really learn a lot at the, the mid-tier FCS level because you're doing everything. You're doing it a lot more things, and you don't have as much money to, to spread around. And so it gives you more ownership, and you learn a lot more that way, in my opinion. Sure. I love that. And I love that from, you know, where I'm at is, is I get a lot of responsibilities here. And that's something that, you know, as a young coach is an invaluable, really. Yeah, and you're doing this podcast too, dog. You ran a book. I mean, dog, you, that, that's the next level, bro. That's, that's what I love about you, man. You're on the next level stuff. Like, dude, you're working your ass off. I know how it is to be in your shoes. I've been in your shoes, man. It's a grind, man. You got to watch a kid, right? No, I don't actually. No way. Good. <laughs> I don't either right now, so I'm good. So that's that's I, I take I'm, I take I don't take that for granted right now because you know it, it gives me more time to serve my teammates, my players, uh, the extra time that I'm going to take to do that. And I know how hard that is. And you're you're doing it right, man. You're 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 making sure you're using your platform right now to to get out and showcase what you're doing and and how much this means to you. You're passionate about it, and I, man, that's that's something that I continuously want to do for my own self and brand yourself and. And show that you care and that you're, you're next level on this deal. You're trying to be make this because I think it's really I think people are really starting to realize, and the college football especially how important special teams is. Man, you saw it in week one, week two. I mean, you were playing, but in the NFL, you had 19 missed field goals in week one. I mean, that stuff it shows how important one point or one play of special teams is to the entire game. Like that four quarters, that one play that ruins the game, man. And that's so everyone talks about the special teams, man. When you have a head coach and you, and you have people that believe in it, you're going to be a much better team, and it just makes that one-third of the game that much more important. And people people need to wake up to that. And people that don't understand, the off-the-mind guys, the defensive-mind, the, the fans need to understand that. You know what I mean? Coach Springer is spitting that fire right now, man. And, and no, no, you're 100% right. And what, what's so attractive to me about the whole special teams thing is – is how intricate it is, you know? And if you looked at it from a wide perspective or a fan's perspective, they don't know any better. You know, they, they have yeah. no clue the detail that goes into it, just like the front line on kickoff return you were talking about. Man. So, you know, to hear someone who's had some success uh, in that field, had a lot of success, and, you know, at such a young age, man, that, that means a lot to me. So I really do appreciate that. Oh, think about what we do, man. Other than the head coach, the strength coach, we are in front of the team more than anybody. We know every player on the team. We have relationships with every player on the team. And why not take advantage of that? And how, is, how does that not make you better suit to one day be a head coach? Because being a head coach is about managing the team, managing your coaching staff, managing the personnel. And we get to deal with, I mean, think of what our situation is you're going through right now, you know, with COVID. Guy's out because he has COVID. No, you got to move a guy up. You got to switch around the depth chart. And you got four or six depth charts to, to work with on that. And it's just managing the team, managing your personnel, getting to understand each player and how well they fit into what you do from an athletic standpoint, mentality standpoint. You got to know all that. And then on top of that, you got to coach specialists. And that's a totally different game. That part right there is like completely different than any other position. It's like that mentality you have to have, the swing, the, the, just the little technical parts, which I'm learning, learning, and learning, not even quite close there yet. It's so, so detailed and so important. And then getting everyone on the same page as well. I mean, you're getting everyone, all the coachings, that, all the GAs, QCs, assistant coaches, they got to be on the same page. Like, you got to organize all that. And it's got to, and you get 10 minutes to do it or 20 minutes to do it a day. Like, it's got to be on point. And when it's not, it shows. And I love that. I love that. that 
you got to be so detailed in what you do. And if it doesn't work, that's on you, man. That's it's on you. You got to make it right. Well, and you hit on it with the specialist part, hundred percent, like the mentality of it. That's what a lot of it to me, it is at this level, like the higher you go, especially these guys, you know, we recruit, they're talented, right? They got the leg strength. They got, you know, a lot of it is just being clear minded in pressure situations. And I already see, you know, all these things you're talking about, it's exactly what you need to be doing. So to me, you're like definitely on the right track as for being a great coach or specialist because half of it, more than half, 90, you know, they always say 90% of kicking is, is the mental game. And it, and it's about being calm and relaxed in pressure situations and handling failure. How do you handle failure? Because, you know, the NFL, the, the pros, they can miss a kick, come back and hit the game winner. And we saw that with Goskowski. I mean, yeah. guy, you know, one for four, and then he comes back and, and hits three game winners in the next three weeks. Like this guy is mentally, he's a giant man. he's, he's, he's so tough. And that's what you're instilling in your players. So, yeah. And I just, you know, I didn't understand that, man. I'd be hypocrite to say three or four years ago, I didn't understand how important, you know, those guys are truly to a team, you know, and their mental makeup, man, is truly, truly something you always got to work with and make sure they're on par because, man, those guys, if you're really good on special teams, I can guarantee you have really good specialists. Like you can have the best schemes in the world, man. But like, like I said, if you don't have good specialists and they're not putting it where you need it to be or not making the field goals, what makes everything else look like it's not working? Because that's how important those guys are. They're they're the they're the horse, man. They're the breed. They're they're everything to the team. Okay, I, I heard you know McMahon at the Denver Broncos. Uh, he was meeting with his guys, and I was there for OTAs. I think two years ago, and you know he started uh, the meeting and he he puts like a horse like a beautiful horse right and it's like this is you guys you guys run it this is you you're, you're the breed that you guys are the reason we're going to be successful this year and it just clicked to me like that's true and it, i've had a couple you know i've had a down year of special teams and i look back and how can i be better and i think getting those guys right mentally and really making sure they feel like hey it's on you but at the same time i don't put that pressure on them but i want them to know that you're this important to the team like you're going to be the reason we win, you know, two or three or four extra games because of you guys. Well, at the same time, you let them know, I got your back, you know, and, and whatever goes wrong, I believe in you. I got that confidence in you. I love that, the Im imagery, you know, of yeah. using that horse. And for you, it just, boom, it clicked just like that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it clicked and, and I use it now. Chuck stole it. We all steal things, right? And I just saw him a beautiful picture of a horse. I was like, what is that to you guys? What does that look like? And guys are like, that's a, pretty looking horse I'm like yeah that's you guys right there like you guys right here you <laughs> you're the derby horse this is you like is it this seems on your on your hands because that's how important you guys are to this team and like you said no matter what I'm gonna have your back because we're all in this together you're like it ain't ever gonna single guy no guy out like we're in this together no matter what happens winless or win every single one of them but we're gonna be a big reason why that happens okay and you know we not just one guy it's gonna be all of us together Man, I'm ready to go play for you now. Can we go put a helmet <laughs> on something, man? Come on, dog. Let's go, man. We got some depth. Come on. <laughs> I'm ready to coach these guys up, man. If I'm struggling somewhere, I need you to just coach them up for me, man. <laughs> no, you got it. I'm ready to go hit somebody, though. I'm motivated here. <laughs> I, I love that. Hey, we're about to wrap it up here. But, again, no such a great job, man. And um, talk to me a little bit. Do you have a, you know, you've got a ton of them, motivational quote or a success quote 
that you like to tell yourself, tell your guys that, you know, keeps them going every day? Um, to tell myself, I, I, this is kind of my mantra. And what I like to tell myself is uh, you're exactly where you need to be. So no matter what's happening, you wake up tired, <laughs> bad loss, great win, ups or downs. I always like to tell myself you're exactly where you need to be right now. What's happening is what's happening for a reason. So that's what gets me through the tough times. It gets me through the good times and it makes me stay humble. Like no matter what, because you know, in this profession, um, it could be one day you could be somewhere and then you get fired and you can't find a job. And that's just the reality of it. Um, so I'm always going to make sure I, I, I'm humbled and I'm grateful for where I'm at. And that helps me. That's my mind. It puts me back into a level and feel like you're exactly where you need to be. Don't get too up. Don't get too down. Hey, just keep moving forward. Keep living through the process. Um, I, you know, with my specialists, um, a big thing I tell them uh, is to really, truly just be grateful. Uh, like I said, I, I, talked, I talked about it earlier, man. I, I tell them to try to be so grateful for the opportunity to be here in a Power 5 conference, to play at this level, right? because some of you guys, are, might, they might go on, they might know they might go on, but you're going to remember this and, and truly be grateful for it. Uh, take the opportunity to, to love it, uh, build from it, embrace it. Um, and I, I constantly repeat that to them, like, guys, let's go, man. Be grateful for where you're at today. Where you're at right now is exactly where you need to be. I kind of say the same thing I tell myself, but be grateful for it, man. And then with our team, it's always that one play of perfection. You know, we're doing everything for one play. Like, we're down, we're out there fourth down, right? Fourth down, punt, punt return, after a score, kickoff return, field goal, field goal, play. it's always one play. It's not two or three plays. It's not a 13-play drive. So that one play needs to be perfect. So what we're currently doing, me and my assistant, we're trying to find a mantra for that, that one play of perfection, because that's going to be our overall theme. You know, what we break in a huddle in a game, what we do in our, our meeting before we start a meeting is what's that one play perfection, what it, how much it means to us. Because they got to know, we get on that field, man, it's all out for one play, and that's it. And then we can worry about the next play when that comes. But for right now, it's one play perfection. And I love that you have those key words, you know, where there's there's themes to unify behind. Like for me, when you said the, the key word during your guys' meetings, you know, to myself, I always teach myself coaching points and common errors. You know, I've mentioned this before. Uh, with yeah. Specialists and, you know, if there's a common error, okay, here's the coaching point and how to fix it. But when you give those guys those themes, that automatically, you know, trains their brain, all right, let's think of this. Like, let's think of our keyword and this is how we fix it. So I, I love that. And that's something I'm definitely going to use going, going forward. I love that. It, it gets them back to, you know, when things aren't going right, you know, all right, screw it. All right, let's get back to, let's get back to the present time. This is what's happening now. That was the past, the future, the future. Not, it's not building bad narrative. We're not going to build a bad future narrative. Don't worry about the narrative that was already built in the past. Let's, the present moment is the present moment. We can make it right now. All right, so let's have one play. Let's worry about this one play right now and move forward from that. 100%. 100%, Coach Brady. Man, well, this has been great. I mean, to me, you know, you are one of the, you know, leading minds, especially for the young guys and special teams. Uh, someone we can aspire to emulate, you know. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, do you have uh, anything you want to plug uh, or, or where can these these uh, viewers uh, find you on Twitter and, and email? Yeah. Um, well, first off, just I appreciate you having me come on, man. I've never done a, a podcast before, so this is my first one, man. And you asked me to do it, man. I was like, hell yeah, even if it, people don't.
it or don't like how I talk or, you know what, it's still good for me to, to talk to somebody else and talk to you, Brett, man, you do a phenomenal job and I'm not a leading mind, dog. you're a leading mind, you're doing great things for specialists and you're going to be very successful in this, in this profession, man. I, I'm excited to see where you're going to be at in the future. Um, but if guys want to, you know, ever want to follow me at Twitter, Coach Springer ST, um, I'm a frequent Twitter guy. I, I use it quite a bit. Um, it's all Arizona, obviously. I'm not, I'm not using my own opinions on anything else. I'm all Arizona football. That's what I do. And if they want to reach me, DM me on that. I'm best on Twitter. Um, so people reaching out to me on Twitter is probably the best bet for, for them to get going there. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, again, it's been a hell of a time. Uh, you know, I hope we can maintain this relationship because I, I learned so much uh, from you today. So. I appreciate you, man. Same here, dog. All right. That was Coach Springer, University, Arizona. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions you'd like asked or select guests coming up, follow and send us a message on Twitter and Instagram to Iceman underscore kicking or IcemanKicking at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us and turn notifications on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Iceman Kicking Podcast and rate and review us on Apple Music. This will be important as we will have giveaways going forward. Also, check out our TikTok under the same name for the best clips from these interviews. And tune in next week for another great special teams mind. I'm Brett Arkellian, and for everyone at the Iceman Kicking Podcast, we hope you stay cool under pressure and have a great week.